Hello, welcome to the Salisbury Pediatric Associate newsletter audio cast. I'm your host, Dr. Ebb, and this is volume 12, issue number 50, which corresponds with the week of November 28, 2022. The free thoughts this week are, if you've not listened to her before, Natalia Laforcade is a new favorite singer of mine if you're looking for something new to listen to. Very soft, melodic voice, beautiful music, very heavy Latin uh, theme to it. Uh, On another note, the quote from Mahatma Gandhi that I like, the greatness of a nation and its moral progress can be judged by the way its animals are treated. In this country, we have a lot of work to do with our chicken, hog, and other animal kafu farms putting a lot of sadness in my mind as to how we do treat our animals and what does that mean about our society. Packing millions of chickens into a long football-sized shed in terrible conditions, right? There's a lot of things there that are not up to snuff for a moral society as far as I'm concerned. And again, I eat meat, love meat, but there's just something wrong about how we treat our animals. This this week's guest on the podcast is Dr. Stefan Guillenet. He's a neuroscientist who earns his bachelor's degree at the University of Virginia and his PhD at the University of Washington. And he and I get into a long discussion on the world of neuroscience as it relates to taste, preferences, and outcomes that follow these decisions, especially obesity. So if you're interested, go give it a listen. Okay, this week's issue, number 50. Exercise, protein, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, and mitochondrial biogenesis. From the Journal of Gerontology, we have a quote. Low skeletal muscle mass is associated with cognitive impairment and dementia in older adults. This review describes the possible underlying pathophysiological mechanisms, systemic inflammation, insulin metabolism, protein metabolism, and mitochondrial function. We hypothesize that the central tenet in this pathophysiology is dysfunctional, myokine secretion consequent to minimal physical activity. Myokines, such as fibronectin type 3, domain-containing 5, irisin, and cathepsin B are released by physically active muscle and cross the blood-brain barrier. These myokines upregulate local neurotrophin expression, such as brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF for short, in the brain microenvironment. BDNF then exerts anti-inflammatory effects that may be responsible for neuroprotection. Altered myokine secretion due to physical inactivity exacerbates inflammation and impairs muscle glucose metabolism potentially affecting the transport of insulin across the blood-brain barrier. Our working model also suggests other underlying mechanisms. A negative systemic protein balance commonly observed in older adults contributes to low skeletal muscle mass and may also reflect deficient protein metabolism in brain tissues. As a result of age-related loss in skeletal muscle mass, decrease in the abundance of mitochondria and detriments in their function lead to a decrease in tissue oxidative capacity. Dysfunctional mitochondria in skeletal muscle and brain result in the excessive production of reactive oxygen species, which drive tissue oxidative stress and further perpetuates the dysfunction in the mitochondria. Both oxidative stress and accumulation of mitochondrial DNA mutations due to aging drive cellular senescence. 
A targeted approach in pathophysiology of low muscle mass and cognition could be to restore myokine balance by physical activity. End quote. That was written by Udbie et al. O-U-D-B-I-E-R, 2022, in the Journals of Gerontology. So let's break down this article into digestible pieces. Can we follow what these authors are saying through their thought process? For me, the fundamentals are these. Age-related changes that lead to neuronal loss and cognitive decline are related to loss or, or reduction of myokine release from the muscles, systemic inflammation, insulin resistance, reactive oxygen-induced mitochondrial distress, DNA mutations, and poor intake of protein. Let's start by saying this. First, exercise releases chemicals called myokines, which are cell signaling molecules that have the job of telling other cells what to do via changes in gene expression, protein transcription, and much more. The prototypical change is the increase in a substance called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF. BDNF is critical for brain cell mitochondrial biogenesis, the engine of every cell in the body. BDNF promotes many developmental functions in the brain, including neuronal cell survival, differentiation, migration, dendritic aborization, and synaptic plasticity. Regular exercise promotes a progressive increase in BDNF for up to at least three months. Conversely, BDNF mRNA in the brain is rapidly decreased by the cessation of exercise, suggesting BDNF expression is tightly regulated and related to the exercise volume. That comes to us from Rugsger, R-U-E-G-S-E-G-G-E-R, at all, 2018. Again, for me, what this passage says is BDNF increases mitochondria with the powerhouses of our cells with a function of converting macronutrients like fatty acids, glucose, and amino acids into adenosine triphosphate, ATP, via the oxidative phosphorylation pathway within. This process consumes lots of oxygen and therefore releases lots of reactive oxygen species as a waste product of the energy transformation reaction. Thus, exercise causes two effects via BDNF. It increases ATP production in the brain via increased numbers of mitochondria. But, oh, by the way, it also increases the reactive oxygen, reactive oxygen species, ROS, waste product. We'll get into the why this is an important problem later. Just note, those are the two main plays that we're seeing right now. Second, as we age, muscle mass starts to decline every decade after we hit 30 years old. There are many reasons for this. One is that we all develop mutations in our mitochondrial DNA leading to less functional energy centers that produce more reactive oxygen species until the mitochondria and the cells are taken out of circulation by autophagy. This is coupled to the lack of mitochondria in the first place in those individuals with less muscle mass, which equals less mitochondria based on the first principle above. This results in a process whereby the brain, over time, has less ATP production per cell and more ROS per beneficial ATP produced per cell. This is a loop effect whereby mutations lead to more reactive oxygen species which further damages the healthy mitochondria leading to more dysfunction and more ROS and on and on. This is a lose-lose and is believed to be one of the pathways to dementia and age-related cognitive decline. Third, low muscle mass is associated with insulin resistance. Chronic poor lifestyle decisions leading to excess weight gain pushes a person to be more sedentary for many reasons that we will only gloss over here, including fatigue, 
muscle insulin resistance, and hormonal shifts. Essentially, a person is weight-heavy but lean mass, light. This leads to metabolic and immune changes with the age due to pro-inflammatory signaling from chronic hyperglycemia, hyperinsulinemia, and hyperlipidemia that will inadvertently lead to mitochondrial damage system-wide, including the brain compounding the sedentary-induced changes. And, oh, by the way, this, this same dietary choices also tend to be associated with less plant-based antioxidants that could be reducing the ROS damage. Alas, it is another problem instead. It appears all to be tightly connected. The elevated glucose levels in the blood from the insulin-resistance diet dyad leads to poor glucose utilization in the brain, damaging energy production unless adequate free fatty acids are available to metabolism. The primary problem here is that hyperinsulinemic state that comes with the hyperglycemia downregulates the number of insulin receptors in the blood-brain barrier, leading to poor insulin action and metabolism damage in the brain. Fourth, if we do not consume enough protein, we will not have enough circulating amino acids like leucine to promote activation of protein biosynthesis by mTOR, mechanistic target of rapamycin. mTOR is a master metabolic switch in humans that senses nutrient volume and pulses on and off when there's adequate leucine, insulin, and resistance muscle activity. mTOR then triggers protein synthesis, regulates cell proliferation and growth. It also matters what type of protein an animal, as animal protein, is more bioavailable than plant protein, which becomes more important with age as we need to hit a 30-gram protein threshold per meal. Eating plant-based proteins with 60 to 70% of the bioavailability means you will need to get 40-plus grams per serving to have the same effect. Fifth, total body systemic inflammation from various causes some of which are in number three above, as discussed, leads to immune activity that induces brain-localized inflammation, which shifts the ability of local immune cells to fight viral pathogens well, and then lead to further local intracerebral inflammation and cellular damage. We saw this with COVID. Peripherally, systemic inflammation also leads to the release of immune cytokines that affect muscle insulin sensitivity, furthering the muscle-centric myokine release dysfunction. Thus, we have a double whammy of inactive muscle and excess adipose tissue driving cytokines like interleukin-6 and NF-kappa-B mediated inflammation signaling that has the downstream effect of cognitive dysfunction. Neuroinflammation will follow over a chronic period of muscle-centric pathophysiology. Systemic inflammation promoting cytokines in place of non-produced beneficial myokines from inactivity will travel via the bloodstream to the brain, crossing the blood-brain barrier where they will activate the local microglial immune brain resonant cells. These microglial cells will begin a process that is too difficult to simply describe here, but suffice it to say, causes lots of local neuronal damage leading to cellular dysfunction. And that end result is cognitive decline and the final common pathway of dementia. So instead of having myokines from activity being sent to the brain for enhancement and benefit, we have inflammatory cytokines being sent to the brain from poor diets and sedentary behavior. Overall, as we age, the number and volume of mitochondria will decrease in the low-protein, poorly-exercised state, leading to poor brain function. 
Thus, the key remains simple. Exercise daily with resistance activity and eat adequate volumes of protein to trigger protein synthesis via mTOR. And by resistance, I mean weight-bearing, either by bands or actual, like free weights, or gold school, Rocky style, whatever it takes. Does this, does this issue matter in children? Good question. Let us first look at disorders of mitochondria in children as the canary in the proverbial coal mine. From Mark Tarnopolsky, quote, patients with mitochondrial cytopathies often experience exercise intolerance and may have fixed muscle weakness, leading to impaired functional capacity and lower quality of life. Endurance exercise training increases VO2 max, respiratory train enzyme activity, and improves quality of life. Resistance exercise training increases muscle strength and may lower mutational burden in patients with mitochondrial DNA deletions. Both modes of exercise appear to be well tolerated. Patients with mitochondrial cytopathy should consider alternating both types of exercise to derive the benefits from each. Endurance equals greater aerobic fitness. Resistance equals greater strength. End quote. This comes to us from Tarnopolsky et al. 2014. If we use these children as surrogates for the benefit of exercise on mitochondrial fitness and biogenesis, then the answer is a resounding yes that exercise matters for children. It is too much for this piece, but children have a major advantage whereby protein synthesis is driven by hormones primarily and less so by mTOR. Thus, while protein is still necessary to be fit optimally, it is not as important as in adults. So, the sum total of all this research as discussed is incredibly important for our long-term health. Activity is so important on so many levels, but in this case, we are able to generate more brain-derived neurotrophic factor and other enhanced metabolic properties of life for reduced inflammation and increased longevity in a healthful state. Everything is tied together, folks, in our neuroimmunometabolic pathways. To be sedentary, poorly nourished, and toxic is to die younger with less functional ability of every system in the body. The take-home point here is to get your children moving often and with vigor. It has a long-term feed-forward effect on keeping the brain clean and energetic in positive ways. Couple this data with a sleep data on glymphatics and cleaning the brain during deep sleep, and you see a variable picture of preserving the brain and all of its beneficial health properties. In the newsletter, I have a little diagram you can go look at that sort of shows this in pictorial form if that's easier for you to learn from. All right, let's move on to section two, unprocessed red meat. Many organizations and media outlets have been bashing red meat consumption as being unhealthy for years. You know, it really never made any sense to me as all natural foods in moderation are almost always healthy in my mind. By natural, I mean Red meat from an animal that eats grass as expected and not human-derived cornmeal antibiotics and hormones as currently being used. From a study, quote, we found weak evidence of the association between unprocessed red meat consumption and colorectal cancer, breast cancer, type 2 diabetes, and ischemic heart disease. Moreover, we found no evidence of an association between unprocessed red meat and ischemic stroke or hemorrhagic stroke, end quote. This comes to us from Leszczynski, at all 2022, L-E-S-C-I-N-S-K-Y. For me, the reality regarding meat of the, quote, red, quote, type is 
all about the reality and the accompanying foods that we eat with it. For example, a grass-fed steak of four ounces eaten along with vegetables and fruits in a whole, minimally processed style is almost definitely perfectly healthy based on my understanding of the immunometabolism of the foods in concert. And oh, by the way, red meat is loaded with brain-enhancing iron, cell-promoting zinc, glucose-metabolizing selenium, and red blood cell-loving B12. Grass-fed meat is also a great source of brain-protecting pro-resolving lipid mediators that come from omega-3 fatty acids. Section 3, Medicine 3.0. I have been thinking and talking about the dysfunctions of our current medical system for years. We are not very good at preventing disease, while we are best in class at surgical repair and acute care like infections and trauma. This really bothered me in the early 2000s as I noted the constant increase in diseases that were chronic like autoimmunity, ASD, autism spectrum disorders, obesity, diabetes, and much more. My unease with the impetus behind my decision to head to the University of Arizona for my fellowship to study integrative medicine with Dr. Weil and his colleagues. In a recent Ask Me Anything episode with podcaster Dr. Peter Atia, he made the case that Medicine 2.0 has peaked and is heading down now, as this version of medicine is neither personalized nor good at mitigating chronic disease issues that are more currently the scourge of society. I could not agree more, as you know. In this new world, according to Dr. Atia, we should start to personalize medicine with risk per person at the center of the calculus of whether or not to make any decision for health. We need to have more evidence-based data from which to make decisions. Finally, we need to make decisions early in life because the health arc of time will have a greater chance of affecting outcome for the positive. This truth has been my mission in this newsletter and podcast over the past 12 years. Prevention is the only authentic way to truly change the longevity conundrum of this country. We are living too long with too many diseases and too many burdens. We need health and vitality as well as length of life. We know the fundamentals. We will choose them, I hope. But that remains the question. How many people will and to what extent for how long? I look forward to a concerted push to Dr. Atia's Medicine 3.0. That would be refreshing for a clinician and I think incredibly helpful to the populace. So that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed the tour down the lands of exercise and bone derived neurotrophic factor with myokines, red meat, and Medicine 3.0. The song of the week is Natalia Lafourcade. Nunca es suficiente. And the link is in the newsletter. Give it a whirl. It is really a good song. And many of her songs are great. So, as always, hug those kids and have a great day. The information provided in this audio cast newsletter is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice or treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional and is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue and does not constitute the formation of the provider-patient relationship. Have a great day.